Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace 417 in your app store and follow along. And now, for our message. Man, we're gonna, I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 22, so if you want to turn there, by the way, that's the last chapter of the book, of the whole Bible book. Um, just start with here in a minute. Well, this is a new series this morning. Ah, there it is. Uh, about worship. And I, one of the fun, most fun things about, I almost said funnest, one of the most fun things about being a pastor is you get to seek the Lord and with counsel of others, you kind of discern what is it that the Lord wants to say to the church, the, this particular congregation that you get to be a part of at any given time. And so I have been praying for a period of time about that. And I have known for a while that really sense that we need to press in here, almost from the time that we um, came to grace here a couple years ago. And I'm excited to finally to be able to do it. And, and so I want us to, through this series of messages, I want us to really understand the profound, powerful, life-changing results that come from worshiping God. But more than that, I want us as a people to be swept up in to a greater pursuit of God through worship. Um, it is, it, is a, it is a topic, it is a subject that is infinite because it is the centerpiece of our relationship with God. When we, when we look at the scriptures from the very beginning of the book of Genesis to the very end of Revelation, like we're going to see here in a moment, people are worshiping God. It is one of the, it is one of the activities, it is one of the, the, the core tenets of eternity. We do not know what will happen beyond the end of what is disclosed to us in the scriptures, at least not in great detail, but we do know this. We will worship. We will continue to worship him forever because he is worthy of all worship. He is worthy of more than we could ever give him. So to be able to dive into this subject of what happens when we worship is extremely exciting to me, Um, but at the same time, uh, it, it, we're only going to be scratching the surface because it cannot be fully told because of this, the size and scope of this subject of worship. So before we, we talk about what worship is, and I really feel like that's where we need to start with a foundation of what are we actually talking about when we say worship. I want to do that this morning, and I want to give to you what I'm calling the first rule of worship. That's not in your Bibles. Don't look for that. But as a, as a concept, I think of it as kind of a foundational piece of understanding worship. But that's what we're going to do this morning. And then as we go through the series, we'll add more and more elements to what actually happens when we are worshiping. Things happen in us. Things happen through us. Things happen in a heavenly realm that we cannot see. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on when we worship, and I hope that is exciting to you. One of the things that we can do to help define worship is to say what it is not, or at least what it is not in part. Worship is not just that part of the service before I come up here and talk, but we call that the worship, right? We're going to have worship, and then we're going to have time in the Word. That, that thing that we did when we were singing and we were focusing on God, that was absolutely worship, but that is not all worship is. Worship is not just a a practice, a spiritual, religious practice that people do, although spiritual and religious people do worship. That's not all that it is. It certainly is more than a, a, um, a genre of music. We listen to worship music, and that is a legit thing. However, worship is so much bigger than just a kind of music or, frankly, music at all. Worship is bigger than that. It is vast. 
It encompasses, literally, no exaggeration, worship encompasses the whole of our lives once we come to Christ. The worship in the scriptures is seen in every one of the books. The 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, you will find something of worship or, or instruction on worship in every one of those books. In the beginning, um, in the book of Genesis, at the beginning, when the first man and woman are on earth, God comes and, and communes with them. He fellowships with them. Specifically says, comes in the cool of the day to be with them. They were communicating with the living God, they, which is a form of worship. They were spending time focused on him, having him see them, seeing him, and interacting with him. By the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, people are beginning to, as it says, verse 26, call upon the name of the Lord. So three generations of people. Now we are formalizing prayer. We are formalizing worship. All the way through the rest of the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, till you get to Revelation. In the 22nd chapter, we're getting a glimpse of what we see in eternity future. By the way, side note, in this time of the world's history, it is very easy to become very discouraged very quickly when you see, like, reading the news or just paying attention to what's going on around. It's just, it can be very, um, you ever read the news or look at headlines even and just feel like someone throws a shadow over top of you? It's like, gosh, I thought, I thought my life was good. Then I read this and then, ugh. Anybody else feel that? Is it just me? Raise your hand if you feel the shadow sometimes. Good. What's wrong with you non-spiritual people? No. It just, oof, it just feels like a heaviness. I think that we would be well served by a monthly reading of the book of Revelation. Not because I understand it all. You thought I was going to say I did. <laughs> no, no. Not because I understand it all, but because of the way that it ends. Because of the hope that we have. Because of the, 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 the victor that we serve in Christ Jesus. Because there will one day be a new heaven and a new earth. Because one day there will be this new city, this, this new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven that we occupy. That's what I want to read to you this morning. Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the last book of our Bibles, first five verses. This is John the Revelator. He is, he is being shown around in a vision. He is being shown around this new Jerusalem by an angel. And this is some of what he sees. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And the night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That is a wonderful cure for the news. That one day this is what will take place. And all that wonderful stuff. I mean, I just love the part about the, the leaves of the tree of life being the healing of the nations. Don't the nations of the world need healing? You know, there's just something incredible about what this, this picture that we get of the future. But even in the midst of this perfection, and it is perfection, it says that the people that are there are seeing the lamb and that they have his name on their foreheads. But it says, and they worship him. They will continue to worship him forever and ever and ever. That is never going to end. 
because we cannot be in a relationship with God and not worship him. There are no non-worshiping Christians. If they are not worshiping, they are not Christians. Let's try that one more time. There are no non-worshiping Christians. If they are not worshiping, they are not Christians. Oh, you guys are getting it. Good job. Because worship is a central tenant. It's the central element of our connection with God. That worship is broken, that relationship is broken, and then it is restored through Christ as we celebrated this morning in communion, and we become worshipers of God. Now, but what does it mean? What does worship mean? I've probably said the word 35 times already in this service. What does it mean to worship God? Let's start with a definition. Let's build a little foundation here. There are, when you read your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, so Hebrew, Greek, when you're reading it, and when I'm reading mine, it, what we use for one word, worship, or one word, praise, there are multi multiple words in either the, the original languages of Hebrew and Greek. So let me just give you some of the definition of those multiple words so that we get a, a fuller sense of what it means to worship or what the word worship means. In the Old Testament, worship means to bow down, to be prostrate, that is laid out before one who is superior, to serve or to work for another. In the New Testament, the words in Greek that are translated worship in English mean to kiss the hand in honor. It's almost like you would come before a, a, a king or somebody of great importance and you would bow down and you would kiss the hand. That's one of the definitions of worship in the New Testament. To kneel, to bow, to be prostrate, to throw a kiss in homage. I kind of like that one. So when we're worshiping on Sunday mornings, we're to the Lord. Throwing a kiss in homage. I mean, that's one of the definitions. Like, you don't think of that. Like, come on, everybody, let's give the Lord praise. We'll start doing that. That'll be, people are like, you hear about that weird church? Yeah, that's, what, that's, that's us, yeah. To adore, to offer sacrifice, to willingly serve. Close word that I'm going to use quite a bit during the series is praise. These are the definitions of the word praise. In the Old Testament, praise uh, words mean this, to sing, to make music to, the, uh, to another, to be boastful about the object of praise. So when we're praising God, we are boasting about him, which is why quick caveat, which is why worship or praise songs that are overly focused on me, though they can be good, I'm not, this is not a broad brush, this is a little brush, but though they can be good, sometimes we miss the point because praise is about celebrating and boasting about the other, in our case, God. The New Testament word for praise means to express agreement, to confess agreement with, to glorify, to bless, to speak well over, to exhort. So we could kind of summarize it this way. Worship is, is, is a means of expressing by humility uh, our, our, our honor of one who is greater, serving him, making sacrifice to him. Praise, on the other hand, is more outward. It's, it's boasting of another's greatness, singing, glorifying, blessing, speaking. So loosely, we could, we could maybe conclude this, that worship is more of an inward orientation to honor and adore, while praise is an external uh, adoration and honor of God. They go together. That's really loose. Do not, don't put that on any social media. Just, that's just a way of thinking of it. That worship is more of your posture and what's going on in here, and praise is what you do out of that, loosely. Let me give you a definition for worship. Write this down if you would. Worship is honoring, adoring, and giving attention through both attitude and action to a valuable and or superior thing or person doesn't sound very simple, but that is somewhat simple. It's the main three things I want you to get is this. It's adoration, it's honor, and it's giving attention. 
And it isn't just with our, our actions. It's really a, a heart condition. It's an attitude, a posture of heart. Worship is an internal mindset. It is a heart posture, and it's also external behaviors, which is why, as a member, occasional member of the worship team, let me just say this. When you are expressive in your worship, that makes all of these people really happy. And when you are not expressive in your worship, they hate you. No, they're just kidding. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. They're always like, oh, man. But, but with that said, it is possible to be fully worshiping, the God because, worshiping God because of the internal posture of our hearts, but not having it show on the outside. That is possible because it's really an internal thing. At the same time, you can be a super expressive worshiper and not be worshiping God in terms of like the motions. and I mean, You can do all the dancing and everything you want to, but if your heart's not right, then you're not really worshiping. So we are always, I'm going to press you and encourage you during this service, during this series to just step out, step out. I'm telling you that there's a whole connection between telling your flesh what to do and experiencing God in a new way in worship. That's a whole different message. But let me just say this, that when you're worshiping, it's not necessarily visible. It's an internal thing, okay? Working from that definition, let me give you the first rule of worship, this is, again, this is, my, this is just Tim speak. And I want you to look at Matthew chapter 4 with me. If you want to turn there, that's fine. If not, it'll be up on the screen. In Matthew chapter 4, also in the Gospel of Luke, the, the temptation of Jesus is recorded. Jesus is tempted in many ways. Hebrews tells us he's tempted in all ways, as we are yet without sin. So when we get this record of Jesus being tempted, don't ever fall into the trap of thinking, well, he only had to you know, fight past three temptations. He, these are the three that we have written down. But he was tempted on you know, a multitude of levels. The three that are written down are these. Number one, Satan comes to Jesus. And by the way, Satan is not an idea or a force or a shadow like I mentioned earlier. He's a personage. He's an actual entity. He is speaking at Jesus. He is trying to tempt Jesus to do sin. He comes to him and he says, if you're the son, it always starts with this, if you're the son of God, won't you turn these bread, this, these stones into bread, right? If you're the son of God, do this. Of course, Jesus refutes the temptation. How? willpower, right? That's what he does. He really just girds himself. No. How does he do it? The word. Always the word. Temptation is always defeated by the word. So he, he, he resists the temptation through the word. Next temptation Satan brings. Why don't you throw yourself off the highest point of the temple? And because Satan knows the word, right? Satan says, you know, the scriptures say, Psalm 91, he'll send his angels, they will gird you up so that you don't you know, strike your foot against a stone. Of course, Jesus, not misusing the scriptures, says, you know, you won't test, test the Lord your God. So he refutes the temptation again with scripture. But then there's the big one. This is just my opinion. This is the big one. It's in verse 8. Let me read it to you. And it has to do with worship. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, this is Satan saying to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. In this temptation, Satan is coming to Jesus and trying to get him to worship him. Now, why would he do that? And we know that Satan wants to be like God. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. Isaiah 14, I believe, is written in part about Satan. He says, I will be like the Most High. He wants to be like God. Therefore, he wants to be worshipped. But it's, it's bigger than that. There's more than that that's going on there. Because Satan in this temptation is appealing to a universal human need. In Romans, Jesus is described as the second Adam. Remember what happened to the first Adam? 
The first Adam had an interaction with the enemy, with the serpent. He was tempted. And what happened? He, in that temptation, he fell. He began to, to take his eyes off of God, take his eyes off of the Lord, and he, he worshipped something other than the Most High. Jesus comes as the second Adam, one who is fully God and fully man at the same time. And so when Satan is tempting him, trying to get him to worship, he's pulling on, Satan is pulling on something that is inside of every human being. And that is this, the inclination and the innate desire to worship something or someone. Write this down if you would. In short, humans are designed to worship. Everybody worships. No matter what they tell you. Everybody worships. I've said this to people, you know, not meanly, but I've just mentioned it to people before and be like, well, I, I don't worship anything. Oh, yes, you do. Give me 10 minutes. Let me follow you. Let me just watch what you do with your life. You can see what people worship by their lifestyle. Everybody worships something. We are hardwired to worship something or someone. And because of sin, because of what happens with that first Adam in the garden, because of sin, it gets twisted. It gets, it gets directed in inappropriate and unhelpful ways. Sin turns people from worshiping the creator into worshiping his creations. That's what sin does. It pulls our eyes off of the one who is worthy of worship and places our worship onto things that are not worthy. And what do, what do people worship? You could make your own list. As a matter of fact, you should make your own list. What do you see people worshiping? People worship, first of all, they worship other people. Right? They do. I mean, they don't even have to know them and they worship them. We have an entire culture obsessed with people they don't know. Think about it. I mean, all of popular media, pop culture is built around I, me caring about people that I don't know, that don't care about me, and then I'll never meet. It's really weird when you think about it. But people worship people that they don't know. They worship positions and influence. They worship things like wealth or, or um, possessions, financial holdings. They worship items like a, like a house or having a bunch of land. They, they worship toys. Turn to the person next to you and say, yes, people worship toys. What kind of toys are you talking about? For my birthday, my daughter-in-law gave me a Bob Ross paint set. And when I got that thing open, I wasn't going to worship it, but I was like, dang, this is, the coolest this is the coolest gift I've gotten in a long time. I don't plan on worshiping it, but I will be painting like Bob Ross, and I may grow my hair out like that as well. <laughs> you guys, besides the worship, now they got the guy with the fro, yeah. How to ruin a church quick, yep. <clears throat> People worship their, their toys, they worship motorcycles, they worship cars, they worship um, boats, they worship airplanes, they worship collections, they worship collectibles, they, it's just stuff. They worship things that are forces or feelings, things like power, pleasure. We have a culture that worships pleasure, do we not? Convenience is a God that can be worshipped. Nature gets worshipped. How about things like, things that are illusionary are worshipped. How many people you know worship control? They don't even have it, but they worship it. Man, they are worshiping that, 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 that altar of control or security or certainty. Good luck with that, too. They worship these things. They even worship themselves. What, here it is. Whatever receives honor and adoration and attention is the object of our worship. That's what we're worshiping. Where does that stuff go? Now, it doesn't mean you can't appreciate toys or stuff or land or money or whatever. Absolutely. I'm not being weird here, but I am saying this. That when any of those things gets to the middle, 
when any of those things becomes the center part of our worship, we are in trouble. That's where God has been pressed out, where the one that we were designed and hardwired to worship is not in the center. Then things go awry. Because nothing except God can can meet our deepest needs. Nothing except God can give us peace and joy and everything else that, that, that makes life work and make sense. It only comes from worshiping him. So before we, we look at the effects of worship, what happens when we worship, I want us to just ensure this morning, and this is all I'm going to share, just ensure this morning that we are focused on the one who is worthy of worship and him alone. Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, Satan will still come. He will come every single day. Wouldn't it be great? You came to Jesus, you became a Christ follower, and it was like a light switch. And you went from worshiping all that other stuff, like, oh, I only worship God now. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And positionally speaking, that is true. But practically speaking, day in and day out, you are tempted. I am tempted all of the time to take my affection, to take my honor, to take my attention, and to place it on things that are not God. Because he comes all the time with his illusions and things and toys and forces and feelings and people. And he dangles them in front of our faces and he says, worship. And I want us to be aware of that so that we can step back. Almost like when you're in the woods with a compass, we can step back and pull that compass back out. Oh, I've, I've, I've diverted here. I'm off the path. I want my worship to just be here. The true north of our father. I want to come back to that place. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you a question and we're going to pray. I'm not criticizing you. I don't know your situation. I'm not picking at you. But I want you to... If you would, just close your eyes. In your heart, in your mind, answer this question. I'm giving you the the allowance that our heart is to worship God. We want to be worshipers of God. However, at the same time, we are inclined and tempted to worship other things. And I want you this morning just to think for a moment, what else do I worship? What else am I tempted to worship? Where else is the enemy whispering for me to worship God? Something or someone that is not the Almighty. And I want us to pray about that together. Because here's the deal. God's grace covers us when we stray, when our compass gets off of that true north of worshiping Him. His grace is so big. But I will tell you this. The scriptures are very clear. He will not share His glory with another. He's not okay with Tim worshiping Him mostly. He... He wants all of my heart. He wants all of my affection. He wants all of my honor. He wants all of my attention. And his grace will bring me back time and again. But I want to be honest and real with him about where I fall and where I struggle. And I believe that he wants that from all of us. So would you just for a moment think, where, what are you tempted to worship? Maybe you've never thought about it that way, but think about it now. What am I tempted to worship other than God? And then let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you confessing that we have a desire, yes, to worship you, but we fail. We struggle. We we divert. We get confused. We get enamored. We get deceived, and we start looking at all this other stuff, and it gets our honor. It gets our attention. It gets our money. It gets our affection. It gets our respect. And then before we know it, we're not even looking at you. Lord, forgive us for that. May we, even as we are learning in this this series, in this time in our church's life, even as we're learning together, 
about this incredible gift, this incredible practice of worshiping you. May we, may we keep finding ourselves pulling back to you, confessing and receiving your grace and moving forward with you at the center. Jesus, be the center. Be the center. Only you are worthy. Only you are worthy. All praise, all honor, all glory, all belongs to you. Forgive us for places and times where we've allowed other things to receive our praise and worship. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you extend your hands in front of you? I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before you go. This is out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Grace Church family, Grace Church friends, visitors, those online, you are a chosen people. You are royal priesthood. You are part of a holy nation and you belong to God. Go out of this place declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Go from here remembering that you used to not be a people, but now, now you are the people of God. At one time you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Be blessed in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, visit us on the web at grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.